0: Amen. You may be seated. And I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or in your bulletins to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. This morning we will be reading verses 6 through 15. We've been on a journey through the books of First and Second Thessalonians and we find ourselves at the next to last section. We will conclude uh, this journey next week, Lord willing. And Paul and his co writers, what we're going to find this morning, they have one last issue that they need to revisit before they close the letter. Remember, a lot of what we've been dealing with in 2 Thessalonians has been a response to things that came up in 1 Thessalonians. And what we will see here is that some have believed that Jesus Christ has already returned. What that did was it caused them to be idle. So they thought he either has already returned or that he is coming soon. And either way, it caused them to stop working and instead become a burden on the church. And of course, this couldn't go on. And so Paul encourages them by teaching about the day of the Lord, as well as calling them to live out their lives faithfully. And that was the message of 1 Thessalonians. But it seems to have persisted. It seems to have continued into the time of 2 Thessalonians, which is about a year later. And so we bring it up again. And here, Paul gives an even stronger rebuke against those who remain idle in their work. But, and, and I love Paul for this. Even while he's doing that, he's going to instruct the church positively on how to endure in light of the coming of the Savior. And so we're going to get a strong rebuke this morning, but at the same time we're going to get correction and instruction on how to live positively in light of our Savior's return. With that in mind, I do invite you to turn your attention to the text this morning as we hear from the Lord, um, His Word for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without payment for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies or meddlers. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he might be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us go to him now and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, to live the life that you have called us to, to obey your word and your instructions, we're going to need supernatural help. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. We need your guidance, your instruction, and sometimes your correction in order to cause us to repent from our sins and turn toward you. And so I ask this morning, O Lord, as has already been asked, that you would take our hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh, that you would open our minds, our ears, and our hearts, that we might hear your word and receive it with gladness and might live it out in our lives. And by doing so, may we draw others to yourself. Above all, Lord, we ask this morning that you be glorified in this time and through your word. We pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. When I was a teenager, one of my family's favorite activities was hunting. In the South, it's, it's more of a way of life than it is of recreation. But nonetheless, it, it probably was the, the sole thing that my family did together. If we were going to do something as a family, it was going to be around hunting, something at some point throughout the year. And that's how we spent time. That's how we spent vacation. That's, everything we did was revolved around hunting. And we actually joined a club. There's hunting clubs um, where you can go and all hunt with other families that like to hunt. And um, we were in this one club that uh, they spent a lot of money on uh, animal population and taking care of that, but not so much on their roads. Um, because most families had four-wheel drive pickup trucks. And as the rains would come and it would get cold and damp, it would, it would wash out those roads, and you um, proved how committed you were if you would still go hunting, because you really had to be committed, or needed to be committed to hunt in those temperatures and, and in those conditions. Well, we had a truck, and my family was committed. There was only one problem See, I've got two younger brothers and a father who are very efficient in everything. So I didn't have to be. And and one skill I did not become very efficient in is driving four-wheel drive pickup trucks, especially in getting them out of first gear. But that never really seemed to be a problem. I had people who would drive. Uh, But there was this one uh, time in particular where um, we were going to go hunting and my brothers couldn't go. And I had someone that wanted to go and I had to take him. We had a 1980 Toyota Tacoma pickup truck that was built for one thing and one thing only, and that's going through mud. So I got the Toyota, and we went to, the, to our hunting club, and there was this hill, and we were going down it, and then all of a sudden, um, I didn't shift at the right time, and it sank. No problem, it's a Toyota Tacoma. It's built for dealing with mud. Well, you have to be very delicate in a Toyota Tacoma to get it out of the mud, and I was not, and I spun and I spun, and I spun, and and we spent our time, what would have been hunting, sitting in this mud puddle in the truck that's the pinnacle of going through mud. And to make my shame even worse, my brothers came to check on our hunting and found me furious in the mud. And instead of helping me, they just stood there and laughed. Um, They did eventually get the truck out because it was theirs. But not not out of love of me, but of a love of the vehicle. Well, today we're gonna to be talking about the topic of idleness from the Apostle Paul. And he has some very strong language for those in the church who are not working and instead making themselves a burden to the church. And when I think of a Christian being idle, I think of that pickup truck in the mud. I think of the pinnacle of existence for mud going machines, and yet there it sat, idle. Not able to move. More than that, being a burden upon myself and upon others. And that story always comes to mind when I I think about this. Um, And yet at the same time, it's a very serious matter as well. For it doesn't only harm ourselves, but it can potentially harm the body. Idleness can have a very negative effect upon the whole church. And that's why Paul writes for us today three warnings or three actions that we can do to prevent and protect against idleness. First, we're going to see this morning that we are to combat idleness, actively oppose idleness in our lives. We'll see that in verses 6 through 10. Secondly, we will see that we're called to promote peace and work quietly in 11 and 12. And then finally, we will be called to do what is good, before the Lord in the final verses. So let's take some time this morning and walk through each of these sections thinking about how serious a matter this is and how really it can stick us in the mud if we do nothing about it. Let's go back to 6 through 10. And it's, it's rather interesting, I don't know if you caught it or not, but Paul changes his writing style in this section Uh, To this point, it's been, now I implore you, now I wish you, now please do this, dear brothers. But here he turns to almost military-style language. Now we command you, brothers. He's calling upon all of his authority as an apostle, and for good reason. Idleness is one of those things, if left unchecked, it will wreak havoc upon a community. Another place I go to think about this topic is Proverbs 6. And the writer of Proverbs 6 uses the example of the ant to combat this issue as well. Listen to what is said there. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The sluggard ignores his or her condition. The sluggard does not prepare for the hard times. And then poverty comes upon them like a robber in the night. Like an armed man stealing it away from them that which they could have had, and yet chose not to partake in. Elsewhere we could go to see the seriousness of or need of work is Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, in fact, the curse. But go back to the first two chapters. Go and think about the fact that when God created man, there's two things, at least two things that God gives in the beginning. One, marriage. Marriage is a pre-fall institution. Marriage was designed by God and was good. In fact, it was in the world before sin. What was the second? Work. Work is a pre-fall institution designed by God before sin in the world. Therefore, it is good. Now, I do believe and I really do believe that when Christ comes back and makes all things new and we live in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to work. Now, I know some of you are in jobs that you may not necessarily enjoy, so that sounds kind of blasphemous. But I, I'm telling you, I, I think that work is good, and I think that God created us for work. I mean, think about it. The job he gave Adam and Eve was to name all the animals and to rule over them. How awesome is that? You control all of these animals and pick their names. So I think we're going to have really cool jobs, um, but we're getting dangerous outside of Scripture, so I'll stop there. But work is good. Work was designed for man. And in the fall, in Genesis 3, work was cursed. Specifically, um, man's work. By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread all the days of your life. For For woman, the work of childbirth. By pain, you shall bring forth children. And so sin has affected work and has affected our desire and ability to work. And so when Paul finds that there's people in the church who are not working, instead being idle, he commands the Christians to respond swiftly. He says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you have received from us. Now don't miss something very important here. Paul calls them brothers. They're believers. These are Christians who are engaging in this idle behavior. But they're Christians who have become so warped in their view of Scripture and teaching of the apostles that they have refused to contribute to what's going on in their family's life and in the life of the community. And Paul is not saying here um, that we should just shun them and kick them out and drop all contact with them. When he says have nothing to do with them, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is treat them like an outsider So that they will repent. So that they will confess their sin and turn from it. The goal is repentance. The goal is to bring them back. The goal is to have them submit to Scripture. Not to ignore them. Not to cast them aside. This should make the idol want to turn from their sin and rejoin in fellowship. But the only hope at this point is for church discipline to take place. The church is called to act in this manner. They're not to remain idle themselves, lest they fall in line with the idleness that he's warning against. You, church, must act for the sake of your brothers. And lest anyone think that uh, Paul and his co-writers are being hypocritical, which no one would say that of Paul, he continues, You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We weren't idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul had every right as an apostle and as a teacher to demand um, being taken care of by the community. He had a right to lodging, he had a right to food, he had a right to all sorts of things because he was coming to bring God's word to the people. And he could have asked it, but he didn't. We know from this text and from others, Paul didn't take anything from the communities. He intentionally went against what um, he could have done so that no one had an excuse. In fact, we're told here and elsewhere, Paul preaches in the day and builds tents at night to support his own ministry so that the churches would not owe him anything. It's a lot easier to hear the command to not be idle from someone you know to be a hard worker than to come from someone who is naturally lazy. And in case they were tempted to do so, he makes himself clear here and reminds them if that wasn't the case. And, and Paul concludes this argument by reminding the church of what he taught while he was with them. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work Let him not eat. Now, we're not talking about people who are unable to work. There's sufficient law and statutes in Jewish law and in Christian practice to care for people who cannot care for themselves. This was a group of believers who were capable of working and yet chose not to due to bad theology or a misunderstanding. And to that group, Paul says, don't let them eat. And I think we all would agree that's a pretty sufficient motivation to work. We all get hungry. If sooner or later, you're going to want to eat. Well, just work. <laughs> it, it, it really is a simple formula here. And that would be enough. That would be enough of an exhortation. I, I believe that Paul is sufficient in, in his understanding, but the situation's actually worse than that. Because this group has evolved. In 1 Thessalonians, we were encouraging the idol. But here, as we will see very shortly in the next two verses, they're not just being idle. They're actually taking their free time that they've created for themselves and being antagonistic to others in the community. So they're not only causing their own problems, but now they're causing problems for others as well. And so he begins with a command to combat idleness. And then he turns that into a command to work quietly and promote peace. Let's look at our second section uh, to see that. And I really do believe that this is one of those situations where if you let people live out this principle, if you don't want to work, then you don't eat, this would correct itself. I'm really convinced that food is a, an appropriate motivation, at least for most of us in a Western culture. Um, we, we get the need for that. And it would force a self-examination that's good for the individual and good for the church. Because these people were not only not working, but then the church had to care for them. And had to use time and effort and energy to um, give them and give their families what was needed. And that wasn't necessarily necessary. They had legitimate people that needed help. These people could work, but chose not to. But it becomes a different issue entirely, and it's fascinating. Verse 11, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That could also be translated meddlers. You see, they weren't only wasting their own time, but they really were. They had all this free time now, so they went to bother other people and slowed down their work. And how quickly can that become a downward spiral? Um, those of you that are parents or teachers, how quickly does one kid um, or one child with free time become two children with free time, become all of the children with free time, and there's actually something that they should be doing? Um, it, it happens fast, and it even will happen with us as adults. We're, we're not exempt um, from that. Productivity can be greatly reduced by only a few members either being idle or being distracted by those that are idle. And let's put this in its proper context. We're talking about productivity of the church. And so what is the church supposed to be doing? Glorifying God, making disciples, teaching the truth that can only be found in God's word, observing the sacraments, and awaiting the return of Christ. That's the work they're supposed to be doing and the very work that these idols are keeping them from doing. See why this is such a serious issue? Those are big topics. Those are big tasks. That's the task of the church. That's what we're called to do. And that's what they are putting at risk. This is why Paul is so strong in his language. The church had become crippled in its ability to make disciples and minister to the family because some chose not to work and slow down the work of others. And seeing this, Paul turns specifically to those people. He's been talking to the church. Now he talks to that group. Such persons. We command and encourage in the Lord... To do your work quietly and earn your own living. He commands in Jesus Christ. You know that mission I just said, the mission of the church? Where does that come from? The Great Commission. That comes from Jesus' own words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so, when Paul evokes the name of Jesus here, he says, by the name of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, work quietly. Earn your own living. Work. And don't make a big deal about it. Oh, that they would learn this. Oh, that people would learn this today. Do your work without looking around to make sure someone else is watching. Do your work whether you get recognition for it or not. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Because God calls you to do it. And then, earn a living. Provide for yourself and for your family. Be the husband and or wife that God has called you to be. Live out your calling. Remember, these are believers that are living and acting this way. And there's not some extraordinary circumstances. I totally get it. And and I struggled with this. I'll be perfectly honest. We are living in very, very interesting times. And and some of you may feel unnecessarily burdened by this passage because you can't work and you can't find opportunities to do these things. You may feel convicted that you're called to do this, but you can't. If that's the case, and and, and this is just a, a bit of an aside, no, we're the church and we're here for you, and we're not supposed to shun you, and we're not supposed to treat you like an outsider. That's not what this passage is about. This passage specifically relates to people who have the opportunity and the capability to go out and work and provide for themselves and for their family, and instead chooses not to. Please don't conflate those two issues. Um, that's, that's not what's going on here. In fact, we have a mandate to care for our flock. I do believe that the calling of the deacons is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to literally go and care for the congregation and their spiritual needs so that they can be willing and able to receive the ministry of the Word and the sacraments by the elders. I really do believe that's why the the ministry was created and how they work together. We have systems in place to care for one another to, to live for one another, to sacrifice for one another in this community together. And it's difficult. Look, I, I know that, that living a Christian life is not easy, especially in the times we find ourselves in. I mean, sometimes it's hard to live with your family and, and you're kind of stuck with them. But then to, to live in the broader Christian community, to, to sacrifice together, to love together, to read God's word and apply it together, of course there's going to be differences I have all kinds of differences with my own brothers. They're my brothers. We share the same DNA. But we're called to do it together. We're called to love one another. And sometimes that means when your brother or sister is sitting there in idleness, it's calling them out on it. That's not God's will for your life. Don't make yourself a burden to the community. Don't make yourself a burden to the church. Get up and work. Fulfill your calling however that may be. And Paul knows that this is going to be hard, and so he concludes with encouragement. He, he, he ends this with a note of encouragement and one final warning. But I want us to focus on that encouragement. Let's, let's look at our final verses and hear how we're called to do good before the Lord. Keep it up, dear Christian. Hang in there. Endure. this series we've entitled Enduring in Light of Jesus' Return. We will get through this. We will get through this together. Why? Because God has declared it's going to be so. Just a few verses earlier, God will see you through every good work until his return. God's promised it. God has promised it. It didn't even matter. You may say, I can't do it. Well, it doesn't matter. God said he was going to do it and you're going to do it (laughs) because it's God. It's not you. That's That's the promise from God. That's God's promise for your life. And Paul says here, recognizing that this is difficult, recognizing that life is not always easy to manage. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. Don't give up. Yes, there are many in the church that were not listening to Paul's instructions. But there were many, many more that were. There were many, many more that were obeying and were being faithful and were committing themselves to his teaching. And also, lest we say that this is a bit too harsh, note that Paul has told us he told them in person, he wrote them in 1 Thessalonians, Timothy probably told them when he went to them, and he writes them again in 2 Thessalonians. That's three to four times that they've heard the same message from an apostle or a messenger from God. And so they have actively heard God's word and God's instruction and turned their back on it. That's the group of people we're talking about here that needs discipline. This is not just, you know, we decided to discipline somebody one day because we can. No. We must discipline. And discipline is always done out of love. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with them. That they may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The church is about community and living together. We um, just heard, we took in new members today. They renewed their vows. If you're a member of this church, you've taken those vows. I love that fifth question. I really, really do. Do you submit yourself to the government of this church and the discipline? I love it because on one hand, I would say I wish that none of you ever be put under church discipline, but let me let you in on a spoiler alert. You have all been under church discipline every single one of you. You're under church discipline right now. Why? Because you're listening to God's word. God's word is an active disciplining factor in your life. It's calling out your sin. It's drawing you to himself. It's teaching you how to live before him. It's showing you how we treat one another, and it's reforming every single one of us after his own image. We have all sat under the discipline of God's church. And so when people, I love watching people answer that question because it's like, you're going to be every week, every week. Now, when most people hear that, they're like, oh, no discipline, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, sometimes discipline's necessary. Sometimes we choose to live in our own sin. We choose to disobey the word of God. We choose to reject his counsel in our life and discipline becomes necessary. But let me tell you what, I don't Wish it upon myself and I actively pray against it, but one day I may need that discipline. I may fall under it and I expect you, as our church, to enact it. I expect you to carry it out on me as I would for any of you. Why? What's the goal? Punishment? uh, Mocking? Derision? No. What is the goal? Repentance and restoration. That's the hope. That's the purpose of discipline repentance and restoration. Paul loves these people. Paul cares for them. He wants them back in fellowship with the church. And he's laid out these steps in order to see that take place. Because they're not in fellowship right now. They're actively opposing the work of the church and causing others to not do the work of the church. And that can't be so. The work of the church is too important. God's word for God's people and God's kingdom is so important that we must at times go through discipline in order to see it carried out and that's the goal and so I encourage you this morning, dear Christian you may be here exhausted you really might, I'm exhausted I, I won't lie to you in that um, this climate, this season um, the, just the things in this world what we're having to do as Christians to live faithful lives, is tiring and so if you hear anything from this message this morning I want you to hear this do not grow weary in doing good don't give up God will see you through. He has prepared the works that you might walk in them. It might feel like a journey without an end, but we are promised Jesus is coming back and it's going to be soon. Lean on your fellow brothers and sisters. You don't have to do this alone. In fact, the purpose of the church, community together, learning about God, living His Word and His life with each other, holding each other up. And if needed, Be prepared to fight idleness in your life. This is something we're all prone to, by the way. It's not something that just some people are going to go into idleness. Every single one of us, we have a heart of idleness in us. We have a heart of making idols, but we also have a heart of idleness too. It's two different sermons. But that's who we are. That's our sinful nature. Be prepared to fight with all that you have to combat it in your life. Seek to walk quietly and be at peace with one another. Do the work that God's called you to do and you'll find joy in it. For by doing so, you'll fulfill God's will for your life and show others what he has called them to do as well. And I'll just close by saying this. I've been in the Christian community and as a leader in it for some time. And I've seen a lot of churches, and it's always the churches that aren't willing to, to endure discipline, it's always the Christians that aren't willing to endure discipline that don't last. Every time. You show me a church that doesn't practice discipline with the hope of repentance and restoration, I will show you a weak church. And one day, and I pray it's not the case, but one day it will likely fall. It will likely fall. Go to the book of Revelation and look at the churches and the rebukes. You have forgotten your first love. You're neither hot nor cold. Every single one of them, it's a lack of discipline and a lack of leadership. I pray that's not the case for us, and I pray that the Lord will continue to bless us with people who are willing to answer those questions. Are you willing to submit to the discipline and leadership of this church, and is the leadership willing to do the same? And I pray that that's our case, and I pray that's the case for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is one of those passages that is easy to hear but difficult to stomach. We know our own hearts. We know our own tendencies. And to be quite honest, Lord, we we often shy away from thoughts of discipline. Who are we to call someone else's sin out? Who are we to challenge the life of someone else? But Lord, I pray that we would yield ourselves to your word. I pray we would yield ourselves to your commands and recognize it is not us, but it is you who calls us to repentance. Help us to live with one another. Help us to live well together, to serve one another, to give for one another, to sacrifice for one another, to work in the calling that you have called each one of us, that we might not be a burden upon the church, but that we might be effective in sharing the gospel. Oh, that you would grant us the ability to do this task, for we cannot do it on our own. We need you each and every day. And so we ask your help now, today, tomorrow, this week. Help us to live active lives before you, in obedience to your word, and to love one another as you first loved us. We pray all of this in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.